0: This morning, we continue our study of this wonderful letter called Hebrews. Hebrews is essentially a sermon written to a very small house church. And the verse that we're going to look at today, chapter two, verse 18, is really the first division in this sermon. Up to this point, the author of Hebrews, this preacher, is writing to encourage them to not drift away, not to abandon the faith, but to remember Jesus to remember the one who is supreme. And then he begins to introduce language about Jesus, calling him the great high priest. And then he ends chapter two with this verse, a verse that's known to many that speaks about temptation. So when he comes to this transition, he offers tremendous pastoral encouragement as it relates to temptation, something we all suffer from. So let's stand for the reading of God's word. It's one verse in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 18. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Lord, this is an amazing verse because it reveals as the rest of Scripture does from beginning to end, that you, Jesus, are God and you, Jesus, are man. That mystery of your deity, that mystery of your humanity, 100% God, 100% man. If we believe that, Lord, it's because your Holy Spirit has illuminated our hearts and minds to embrace that which is truly beyond comprehension, that you God of the universe, the one who made everything, became man, that you might live the life that we could never live perfectly, and then die the death that we all deserve to die. Along with that, Lord, you suffered the temptations that you faced, in which in each case you overcame, caused great suffering. And so you are more than just one who can say you understand. You're one who endured and felt the suffering. So you really do sympathize with us. Teach us, Lord, in this time that we might really live in the victory that we have in you, Christ. Take this word deep into our hearts and set us free in the way of escape that we might endure through every temptation. We pray in Christ's name, amen. As we look at this verse, it will be very helpful to you if you have a Bible open, so there's a blue pew Bible in front of you. I'm going to be looking at this verse as well as another few verses in Hebrews chapter 4 as well as 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. Jesus had become known to this small group of believers, and they were in a church, Whoever this priest was that was writing to them, encouraging them, knew that they were suffering a profound temptation. And the temptation that they were suffering was to abandon their faith. They heard news of Christians being arrested. They heard news of Christians being abused. They heard news of Christians being killed for what they believed. And that which They had embraced earlier that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, the only way of salvation. They now were tempted to reject because the cost was becoming too great. And so this loving, caring shepherd, this pastor, carried along by the Holy Spirit, writes these inspired words. And he begins by saying, this is who Jesus is. Jesus is the fulfillment of this prophecy. He's greater than the angels. He's superior. And then he urges them at the beginning of chapter 2, let's be careful not to drift away. This is so great a salvation, and it really is. And you're going to see that today, that this Savior didn't just go to the cross and die for us. Before that, he endured ongoing temptations from the enemy to not Fulfill what God had prepared for him to do. So, as we look at this question or this statement about Jesus, because he himself suffered when tempted, he's able to help those who are being tempted. I want you to begin by thinking about your own temptations. Like me, every one of us, all of mankind, suffers every day with temptation. And I say suffers because if there wasn't suffering, it wouldn't be tempting. But there's something that enters into our heart and mind, or even from within, that says this promises life when God's word says the opposite. So we understand temptation, all of us. There's not one person in here that doesn't understand temptation. But we're told, because of this great salvation, this great Savior, that he himself suffered. And because he suffered, he's able to help us. So we're gonna look at two questions from this verse. First question, how did Christ really suffer? And the second question is, how does Christ then help us in our suffering? How did Christ suffer? How does he help us? So first, how did he suffer? Jesus Christ was 100% God and 100% man. That's the mystery of the incarnation. Jesus was born, conceived by the Holy Spirit that overshadowed Mary. He was born there, being nursed by Mary, raised as a little boy, a teenager, to a young man, to a man, to a man that never once sinned, not in thought, not in word, not in deed. In his flesh, Jesus experienced the sufferings of temptation that you and I experience. Lane, in his commentary, which is wonderful, on Hebrews says this, The incarnation exposed the Son of God to the conflicts and tensions that characterize human life. Which ones? Look with me at Hebrews 4, beginning at verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. The word sympathize does not mean that Jesus just psychologically understands that we suffer. The word sympathize in the Greek means that he experienced and experiences those sufferings. He knows what it's like to be tempted. In his humanity, Jesus suffered the temptation of the enemy in the wilderness. In Matthew 4, Jesus is led by the Spirit into the desert, into the wilderness. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, the tempter moves towards our Savior. You can read this on your own, and you know the story, but Satan was seeking to make Christ fall. He was seeking to make Christ abandon the will of God the Father. He was seeking to make Christ trust in something other than God. Jesus was tempted with provision. Knowing how hungry he and thirsty he was, the enemy promises him bread that is not from God. He's tempted in power. He's tempted with possessions. Those same things tempt us all the time. In the end, it was an onslaught continually of Jesus Christ being tempted and suffering in that temptation, questioning God's goodness and God's plan. From the desert, the place where we see the temptation most specifically happening is in the garden. It's interesting that it's in a garden, because in the first garden, the Garden of Eden, the first Adam is tempted. He's tempted when the serpent moves on the scene and comes to Eve. And the very first question in the Bible, it's not a question from God, it's from Satan. Did God really say? And as you have heard me say before, Satan wants the word of God out of our life. She responds this is what God said. Satan deceives her, there's conflict, it's real. She sees something. That she wants, and upon seeing that what she wants, she takes it. She gives it to her husband. They eat, their eyes are open, they realize they have sinned. And then God asks his first question, where are you? Not because he didn't know. He's omniscient, all-knowing. He's omnipotent, all-power. He's omnipresent, he was there. It's because he's signifying from the beginning he's coming for his people. Where are you? And Adam says, we were afraid because we were naked, so we hid. God's second question, who told you you were naked? Adam speaks, the woman you put here with me. Blaming God, blaming the woman, and division between man and woman, between people and God, between man and self takes place consequences that if they could have seen the end result of what it meant to take that forbidden fruit and eat it, they never would have listened. But the conflict was real. They abandoned the truth of God. They were untrue to God. Now in the second garden is the second Adam. And this is Jesus. And Jesus in the second garden, this second Adam is overwhelmed. He and Luke says, my soul is overwhelmed to the point of death. Luke, a physician, describes the condition of Jesus' body. Jesus' body is glistening blood because the capillaries underneath his skin, because of the pressure, the suffering that he was enduring, the temptation to not go through with it, the temptation to, to not submit to the Father's will was great, and yet our perfect, righteous lamb, prays out to the Father as the disciples are sleeping. They couldn't stay awake. Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will be done, but yours. And it was his Father's will to crush him that nations of believers would be saved, you and me who are in Christ. The cost of that wasn't just suffering on the cross. It was suffering from the moment he was born. Suffering from the moment he was born, living up on this earth, coming to this earth to taste our sadness, he whose glory knew no end. He fully identified himself with us. The oppressed people of God, exposed to the testing and humiliation in an indifferent and hostile world. That's Jesus. And in this second garden, he fulfills in complete submission to the Father. Jesus Christ understands every temptation you face. When you're tempted to look at a screen you shouldn't look at. When you're tempted, to, or tempted to, to whisper something to a close friend about someone else. When you are tempted to consume something that is not going to be good for you, at least not at that level. When you are tempted with thoughts that are not pleasing to God. When you are tempted to not do the things that, You ought to do just like me. We have a Savior who sympathizes with us. That is what Christ suffered. Consider the greatest suffering you have ever had in a battle to not do something you were tempted to do. And think of a moment when you, by God's grace and for his glory, overcame that temptation. Again, by his grace and for his glory. Jesus lived at that moment continually because he never sinned. Never. The suffering that you have felt, he knew far greater suffering. And because of that, he's able to help. But how? How specifically is he able to help us? Look again at chapter 4 of Hebrews, verse six, 16. Or let's start with verse 15. Again, the text tells, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. The first way in which Christ helps us in our temptation is he sympathizes with us. Again, this doesn't mean psychological It doesn't just mean Christ understands it, it means he felt it. He knows what it's like to consider compromising what God has ordained, what God has commanded. And so instead of his first posture being judgment, even when the temptation is just being born, our God, the one true God, offers sympathy, compassion, mercy, and grace. So that when you are tempted to look at something you shouldn't, when you're tempted to say something you shouldn't, when you're tempted to hold back selfishly the things that he's given you, cling to them as if they are your right possession, he understands that tension. He understands there's conflict. You see, every temptation is centered on a conflict. If it wasn't, it wouldn't be a temptation. Now in the last hour, we had lots of children in here. We encouraged them to come Sunday after Sunday, but on the first Sunday of the month, there's no programming downstairs, so they come in here. So I used an illustration that would help them see what I'm talking about. And though there aren't as many children in here, it's really good for all of us. When I was five, my grandparents took me to an air show. It was at Tinker Air Force Base in Midwest City, Oklahoma City, not far from where I lived. Walking through the hangars, looking at these huge planes, there was a light on a table flashing. Of course, I was drawn to it. I was only five. I couldn't read very well, but I could read a sign that says, Do not touch. But it was tempting. That was a light that was on an airplane. That is a light that blinks so high in the sky I can see it. What does it feel like? I want to touch it. My grandfather said, Mark, don't touch that light. It was clear from the sign and from his faithful verbal witness, if I touch the light, something bad's going to happen. Yet, as we walked away and I turned back and looked and I saw the flickering light, I excused myself from them quietly and went and touched. And when I touched, they immediately knew what had happened because they heard me scream. My fingers melted instantly in pain because it burned me. Why did I do that? Because it was tempting. And the conflict that was happening inside me was real. Why do you look at porn? Why do you say things about other people who are in Christ, even in the church, even in your family? Why do you consume things you shouldn't consume? Why are you so absorbed with self? Every one of those questions and many more could be asked of me and by me, to me, because just like you, I'm tempted, and the temptation is real. And what our Savior is saying is, I understand your temptation for greed and sloth and selfishness, I understand it. I have sympathy for you, compassion for you. Verse 16 says, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. That we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. But it's not just his sympathy that we receive. It's also a way of escape. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. While you're turning there, Paul is the one who wrote this letter to a church in Corinth. It's his first letter to them. Their sin, like ours, is idolatry. Paul goes all the way back to the original people of Israel who walked through the Red Sea, who received manna from heaven, whose God's faithfulness was revealed time and time again. And yet, in a moment when they're not sure God's plan is perfect, they're not sure God's provision is enough, they're not sure God's power is strong enough, they turn to idols. Because the idols are flashing. The idols are shiny. The idols say, I will give you life. And then Paul says this, Ten thirteen. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. So how does Christ help? He shows sympathy, compassion, mercy, and grace. How does Christ help? He provides a way of escape every time. Every time I'm tempted, this is without exception, God always provides a way of escape. Every time you're tempted, every time, He provides a way of escape because He's faithful. This passage teaches us this. I'm going to give you four four Ps. I don't always like to do that, but I want you to remember these in the intense moment of your own battle. From 1 Corinthians 10, the first P is this. When we're tempted and the conflict is real, God gives us perspective. The perspective that he offers at the beginning is this. Nothing that you are enduring as a temptation is not common to man. In other words, any of the things I've listed already in this sermon, and the many more that I haven't, whatever it is that you are regularly tempted with or even in moments that are less frequent, that is a struggle that other people just like you and just like me struggle with. Are you grossly materialistic? Other people struggle with that. Do you battle lust? Other people struggle with that. Are you self-absorbed? Other people struggle with that. Are you in a place of doubting whether God can do this? God's good enough, powerful enough? Other people struggle. Any temptation that I could mention is common to man. That's the perspective that Paul brings. All of us are tempted to put our security in insecure things, idols every one of us, he gives perspective. Second, he gives us a promise, and the promise is this. He will always provide a way of escape. Not just sometimes, not just limited power, but God always provides a way of escape, that's his promise. His promise is found in his word, and his promise is his word. And more than that, Jesus is the word, which leads to the third one. He gives us his presence. Jesus said to the disciples, it is better for you that I leave that the helper might come. Jesus said that. How could it be better? The incarnation, fully God, fully man, But all wise, God said, it's better that I leave because if I don't leave, the helper will not come. But he did leave. After conquering death, being raised from the dead, ascending to heaven, Jesus promised the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit lives in everyone who professes faith in Jesus. He's in you if you're in Christ. So he gives us perspective. Friend, you're not alone. In a church like this, In a community like this, you are terrified of being known because you feel like you're gonna be alone. You're not. If you're later in life and you feel like you should have done so much more for Christ, you're not alone. If you're young in the faith and struggling with things, you're not alone. If you once were on fire for the Lord and now it seems like drinking dirt, you're not alone. That's perspective. You've been given a promise which is in his word. He can't break his promise. And he is his word. He is the word. He's inside you. He gives us his presence. Lastly, he gives us prayer. Go back, keep your finger at 1 Corinthians 10. Go back to Hebrews 4. Verse 16 is the result of what's been said so far. Let us then with confidence draw nearer to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of prayer. Prayer is nothing more than approaching the throne of grace. What's remarkable about Christianity is in your struggle, whether you fall or whether you're victorious, you do not have to wait for an earthly high priest to confess your temptation and sin to You don't have to call and set up an appointment with the pastor. You can, and it can be very helpful. But your high priest has given you immediate access right now in prayer. And you, in whatever temptation you're facing, that which is common to man, you have been promised the way of escape. And that high priest is the way, Jesus. And you have immediate access to him. To pray. So when that temptation is coming, pray, talk to him. And when you talk to him, what will you hear? I sympathize with you, I understand. I promise you there is a way of escape. This is the way of escape. That's what he promises. You have my presence. I'm leading you, I'm with you, I will never forsake you, no matter what the temptation is. When I was a brand new Christian, six hours old, 15 and a half, my Young Life leader took me to a bookstore at a Young Life camp, bought me a Bible and a topical memory system. The topical memory system was put out by the Navigators, a Discipleship Ministry, and it was designed to help people memorize Scripture according to a topic, and that topic would then have two verses. So 60 verses is what you would memorize over 30 weeks. You carry along these two cards and then four cards and then 12 cards and then 48 cards reviewing continually as the word of God was going into your heart. Why do I share that? Well, one of those sets of cards on one week was under the topic temptation. It was designed to help young men, young women, old men, old women, children, Resist temptation. Hebrews 2.18 was the first verse. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he's able to help those who are being tempted. The second verse was actually Psalm 119, 9 and 11. In the NIV, I still remember. How can a young man keep his way pure? By living according to your word, I've hidden it in my heart that I might not sin against you. When I face temptation every day, temptation to seek the praise of man, temptation to live in fear of what other people think, temptation to pretend I don't live in the fear of what other people think, temptation to lust, to be selfish, to be greedy, to seek comfort, to boast, all those things. It's the word of God that He's placed deep in my heart, that reminds me of the perspective, that reminds me of the promise, that reminds me of His presence and the power of prayer. There's another Psalm 119 verse that's really significant in my life, and this is it. Turn your eyes from looking at worthless things. You and I experience real conflict when our eyes look at something that's flashing that says, I'll give you security. I'll give you meaning. I'll give you comfort. I'll give you pleasure. No matter what God's word says about it, this is real life. Temptation begins at the place of which we fix our eyes. In anything other than Christ that we seek to put our salvation in, our identity in, to find freedom from any part of life that's hard, anything is a worthless thing. But the profound work of Satan is that he l- makes worthless things look like they're worth everything so hide his word in your heart turn my eyes that's what it says it's a petition from looking at worthless things last thing back to 1 Corinthians 10:13 Paul says he is faithful he will always provide the way of escape A lot of people think 1 Corinthians 10, 13 ends there, but it doesn't. It ends with this. He always provides the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. The way of escape isn't always a deliverance from the temptation now and for forever. Sometimes that happens. But most of the time, It's an ongoing battle of endurance. And in that battle of endurance, we are tempted when we get weary and tired to abandon what's true, to say, I can't do this anymore. I can't take this any longer. That's a lie. The truth is, God's promise says He will always provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. And his compassion isn't only present when we don't and we fail. His compassion is even present in the moment that the conflict is great. If you can take nothing else away today to help you battle temptation take this turn your eyes upon Jesus in the moment of temptation every time turn your eyes upon Jesus look full in his wonderful face and the things of earth those shiny bright Salvation promising, life promising, pleasure promising, peace promising things. The things of earth will grow strangely dim and the light of his glory and grace. Father in heaven, you sympathize with how hard it is, how weary we are, how unable we are, how foolish, and you give us everything that's necessary to know the way of escape and even to avail ourselves of that way. Lord, as we close in song, both listening and singing, let these words that Alicia sings bring great hope to us. And as we join in singing the chorus with her, I pray that it would be more than a song, that it would become a reality, and that this day we could walk out of here knowing the way of escape and experiencing your profound compassion and mercy and promises and presence. In Jesus' name, amen.